Before we get started with this episode of Ghost Tea Podcast, I just want to do a little disclaimer out here that we have some mature subjects that we go over in this um, episode, including sexual uh, interactions with deities and things like that. So if that is not something that you're in an age group to be comfortable with, or if that's not something that you would like to hear about, please listen with discretion. Um, or if you have younger audiences listening, please allow them to listen with the discretion. Um, I also want to mention that all of this information is based on our own practices that are open practices. We are not talking about closed practices. And this is also not going over working with spirits of the land or spirits of um, like local origins. So I think it's important to explore those as well. But with that said, let's go ahead and get into this episode. All Buckle right, up, cool. grab some popcorn. It's a long yeah. one. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the Ghost Tea Podcast. I'm your host, Ariel Willow. And I'm your co-host, Alyssa of Larusa Mystic. And today, we are going to talk about deity work. Yay! I'm super excited to get into it. But as per usual, we like to remind everyone that it's okay if everyone has different views on things. Because we all do. And that is totally fine. We don't ask you to believe what we do. We just want to share what we found in our personal path with others. And for anyone interested in booking a session or learning more about me or Alyssa, check out our websites in the description below. All right. I'm so excited. excited. (laughs) This is a topic (laughs) that we have talked about going over for probably months. Like even before you really joined, we were like, we want to do an episode of Ghost Tea on this, even before I had decided to bring you on as a co-host, because it's something that we've talked about in our live streams before um, quite a a couple times, actually. Mm -hmm. And we're both you know, practitioners that work with deities. So this is very much within our wheelhouse. This is something that, you know, we, we personally practice. And uh, I would say a large number of, you know, the folks that interact with us are either interested or also um, work with deities at various different stages. So it's one of those topics that you can, there's a lot to cover and we're going to be covering a quite a number of different things. Um, So I'm, I'm really, really excited. (laughs) Same, same. So before we kind of go into it, um, uh, nope, I lost my thought. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah. I was going to say I've been sick. So if my voice sounds weird or if you hear me like breathing on the other side of the line, like <gasps> it's because I'm trying not to cough. <laughs> so just bear with me. We're trying so hard, which we're doing such a good job. Okay. <laughs> such a good job. <laughs> we're trying. All right. So the first thing that I want to go over is um, the difference between working with and worshiping a deity. But before we get into that, I kind of want to discuss um, why deity work is not vital in a spiritual practice. Because I think that this is a common assumption that people make that if you are spiritual or if you're a witch or if you um, practice magic or you practice within the occult, that you need to work with a deity. And it's just not true. It's just not the case. Absolutely. You're correct. You do not need to work with the deity to have a fulfilling spiritual path. It is absolutely not a prerequisite for anything. It is not required to work with a deity. But again, that is different than worshiping. So worshiping, you know, um, 
is 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 a different sort of uh, ball game. But but working with a deity is, uh, you know, I would even go so far as to say it's a relatively like newer concept. Like I feel like it's probably more of a is probably come along with the rise of neo paganism that we're seeing a lot of emphasis on working with a deity versus worshiping a deity. But that's just totally anecdotal. I, I have no idea if that's actually the case. It just seems to be that way. So with deity worship and deity work, uh, the way that I've kind of described it to people, and Alyssa, I'm kind of curious to hear how you would describe it to people as well, or if it would be the same, is that I describe to people when I am um, uh, talking about worship as like Christianity, because I feel like Christianity is a fairly good example. A lot of people worship God, right? But they don't work with him. And working with implies that you're having more of a direct interaction with that deity, whether that's through divination or, um, or clear abilities or experiences Whereas worshiping is just celebrating that deity or that being and giving energy to them or giving honor to them, um, but not necessarily having those one-on-one interactions. And I feel like Christianity is a fairly good example of worshiping for that reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, exactly. And I'm going to be coming at it from a slightly different perspective, just because, I mean, we covered this in the first episode in my intro episode um, that I, I didn't grow up Christian. I didn't grow up with any sort of religion that was, um, you know, part of part of my upbringing. So even though I'm aware of how Christianity and Catholicism kind of work, especially from from the perspective of, of worship, um, I can speak more comfortably from it from my own personal practice, which is through Hellenic polytheism. So well, the way I like to kind of approach these topics is I like to break them down in, into small pieces and then, and then sort of zoom out and look at them all together. So the way that I want to go about this is first asking, well, what is worship? So worship is an act of religious devotion that's usually directed towards a deity, which is just another way of saying what you already said. For many, though, worship is not really about an emotion per se, more about recognition of a deity or deities, if it's a polytheistic. An act of worship may be performed individually in an informal or formal group or by a designated um, leader. So, you know, that can involve things like honoring the deity. Um, so so that's kind of worship, but, but here's the thing that's really differing between Christian worship and pagan worship is that likely your understanding of this relationship involves things like obedience, servitude, um, as part of worship, perhaps um, it's a very humbling thing. Uh, and it's, it's not actually a universal approach to divinity or worship in general, um, especially not for those who um, have animistic beliefs and religions such as Norse paganism. Um, and not all devotees even want deities that, that want to have a Lord slash servant sort of, relationship with a deity so it's 
it, it kind of like we go by what we know, but I know, but for Hellenic polytheism as well, that worshiping the deity is, is acknowledging that each individual deity, because there are many, each individual deity has their own will and their own personality. And we try to establish a relationship through wor worship and try to gain their favor um, through worship and so that they will you know, I'm very much condensing this, but so that they will look upon us favorably and, and grant, you know, assistance to us if we need it. So I like to, I like to break things down into smaller pieces to understand them and then zoom out to look at them all together and see how it paints a picture. So sort of the step I like to take here is I like to think of the definition of the words we're looking at. So worship is an act of religious devotion usually directed towards a deity. So for many, worship isn't actually about emotion so much as it is about recognition of a deity or deities if they're from a polytheistic, um, from a polytheistic uh, religion or polytheistic culture. So an act of worship may be performed individually in an informal or formal group or by a designated leader. So such acts may involve honoring, which is what you were previously talking about. So that's really what worshiping is, which is different than deity work. So, so worshiping from a, from a Christian perspective, um, and I mean, I wasn't raised in a Christian household. I wasn't raised in a religious household. So when my, my kind of like pagan life started really early. So when I think about um, Christian devotion, it, it looks a bit differently to me than pagan devotion. Um, and so devotion can look different as well between cultures. And so can deity work, to be completely honest with you. But if we really want to break it down into its small parts, that's worship sort of in a nutshell. Um, and then we also have deity work. So with deity work, deity work is, is not worship. So pagan religions like um, Hellenismos, which is what I practice, um, heathenry, which is often associated with Norse paganism, um, Kemetic paganism, which is, you know, Egyptian gods, they're not actually deity work. It's a, it's a religion with an ethos, um, established tenets, uh, cosmology, a worldview. There is, and within that is where you have the connection with deities. And so deity work is actually for an outcome. Deity work is to work with a deity to achieve an outcome versus honoring them versus, um, you know, acts of devotion in, in honor of them, essentially. Um, so that's the difference is one is, I would say more, traditional behavioral if you will whereas the other is more results oriented that makes sense because that's and that's kind of what i see it as too because when you're doing deity work you're not working with a deity just to have someone to hang out with like yeah. you're doing it because they're teaching you something or they're trying mm -hmm. to like help you with shadow work or they're trying to help you uh learn divination or connect to your um, you know, spiritual self better or connect to your practice better. Like they're teaching you something or helping you to achieve some sort of goal that you have or intention that you have. And that isn't really something that you find within worship. I mean, it can be, but like it's more self-work rather than like mm -hmm. a one-on-one -on -one kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and worship can invoke 
feelings that inspire us to do work um, on our own, but it's not necessarily with the deity, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. And, and that's kind of where I think is a really good segue into, because I know there's going to be some people wondering about it is what's the difference between working with a deity and a patron deity? Yeah. Yeah. And this, that's kind of like another, another step. And there's like, there's a couple tiers to deity work, which it it doesn't mean that like someone who has a patron deity is better at deity work than someone who doesn't. Um, I don't want to make it sound like the tiers are like uh, a first place, second place kind of thing, but more so of like a deeper um, type of, of deity work. That also makes it sound superior, but I don't mean it to, it's just, it's, it's a more intense, more, dedicated and more um involved yeah and it's more exactly it's more iterative it's sequential it's not necessarily like levels it's more iterative to get to 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 sort of you have to work with a deity i would recommend working with a deity before taking them on as a patron deity um so that you can establish a foundation with that deity and you can get to know each other a little bit better So when you're working with a deity, there's a variety of different ways that you can sort of categorize it. Essentially, it's, it's, it can be a one time working for, for an outcome, whether it's spell work or uh, particular goals that you want to achieve, such as healing or, or something like that. It could be, so it could be one time, it could be for short term, however you want to define short term, let's say a couple weeks or a couple months. It could be long term, it could be even for a span of multiple years. Um, when you're working with a deity, there's there's not really permissions that are required from that deity for you to undertake things or even to work with other deities. And another thing is that they may work with you just one time or they may work with you multiple times throughout your spiritual path. So working with a deity can look like many things, but, but where the difference really starts to be seen from working with a deity versus taking on a deity as a patron is that a patron deity is an entire lifetime or even multiple lifetimes commitment. It's very much an agreement that you enter with this entity where you are you are essentially they are going to be playing a much much bigger role in your spiritual path they're going to be with you for the remainder of at least this lifetime and you will need permissions from them for certain kinds of workings or even to work with other entities or deities um and you may even need permissions for other things in uh, in your during this lifetime from them uh, in order for you to live your life in their archetype in the best way possible because that's an aspect of taking on a patron deity that is really important yeah so my uh my views on on the patron rather than like just working with a deity I don't know why I always have to make stuff in my head romantic for me to understand it I think I'm just like a snappy romantic (laughs) at heart but I always compare deity work to like dating whereas like patronage to marriage or like uh, a committed partnership or um something where you have like made an agreement with each other in some way 
to stay together. And it's, it's not to say that a connection between you and a DD needs to be romantic. And we'll kind of get into that later with dating. You can just be with someone, be with them for, you know, however long you feel compatible with that person and then you leave right Mm -hmm. or you break up and you separate but then with something like uh marriage or or um a committed partnership or things like that you have a partnership between two entities uh two people if you will a d and and or a dd and a person who have committed to working with each other to improve the path and the, the spiritual practice over time um, and help that person grow. Right. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And so that's, that's kind of how I see it. Um, and I think that's so important to remember. And I'm so glad that you mentioned that they don't have to be there for a long time, because I think a lot of people assume that if they get into deity work, they're not allowed to be like, oh, I don't want to do this anymore. You know, I, mm-hmm. I don't feel like doing this anymore. I don't feel like doing deity work. There's been so many practitioners who I've seen online, um, as well as just in my everyday life who have started working with a deity and maybe they're just not vibing as much as they thought that they would. Um, or maybe they're just not ready to do the kind of work that that deity is asking them to do. And there's nothing wrong with that. And I think that one of the biggest um, things that I like to mention in, in deity sessions and deity confirmations for people is that you are in the, the driver's seat with deity mm-hmm. work. Um, it is something where you should always remember that you have the ability to say, Hey, I don't feel comfortable with working with you or I don't feel co- comfortable working with you now or, or, you know, maybe come back later or I don't feel comfortable giving um, X, Y, Z as an offering or things like that, because there are deities who will ask some maybe uncomfortable stuff from you as far as offerings go. Um, Not everybody is going to be interested in masturbating for their deity or Mm -hmm. having sex in honor of their deity or giving a blood offering or, you know, um, things like that. So it's, it's important to remember that you are always in the ability to like uh, adjust and shift your expectations and your comfort levels with that connection with that deity and figure out what works for you but I also think it's important to remember that in doing that make sure that you're doing something to where um, you're not just doing it to be able to stay in your comfort zone because this Mm -hmm. is where it kind of gets dicey is that there is the uh, there has to be an awareness of the reason why that deity is coming in for you. And I have had times where deities have asked me for an offering. Um, can't remember what it was at the time, but I remember them asking me for something and being like, actually, I don't feel comfortable giving you that. And they said, I'm not trying to change your mind or like coerce you into anything, but I want you to take some time and ask yourself why you feel that way. Mm-hmm. And just got my brain moving to where I was actually able to think it through. And after I really thought about it and was like, okay, why do I feel uncomfortable giving this offering? Why do I not want to do it? 
um, it actually made me realize that the reason why they were asking me to give an offering was trauma related because by giving that offering, I was able to find a new appreciation for it and therefore be able to work through trauma around it. And Mm -hmm. it was something where it was, it was something that brought healing once I kind of pushed myself out of my comfort zone. But I think there's always like, it doesn't mean that you have to always do that. But I do think that there has to be a level of discernment and thought Mm -hmm. behind why we choose to or not to give certain offerings or do certain things within our practice. And I think that's with anything, but I really like to mention that for, for deity offerings in particular, because there should always be an awareness of where you may be holding yourself back. Um, Oh yeah, totally. Because with deity work, like you get out of it, what you put in, it Mm -hmm, really is mm -hmm. that because if you're not putting in the work to heal or, or make progress, then you're not going to get progress back. You're not going to get that feedback. You're not going to get that um, guidance because if you're going to be a brick wall, um, they need someone who's flexible and able to like be willing to make the changes that are needed. Um, obviously it depends on the the connection and the reason why they're coming in for you. But I do think that that's important to remember. And um, yeah, I just, I don't know. I feel like that's a really important thing to think about. Oh, hundred percent. Like deity work takes a lot of effort. It, it is not just something that's very, you know, willy nilly. It's not easy. And sometimes that's missing from traditional discourse, especially on social media. You might not see the hard work or the tears or the tough, you know, Mm -hmm. obstacles in the background that are happening for people to be growing and to be learning um, and to be sharpening their, their clear senses or, or whatever it might, might be, but it's not always sunshine and rainbows. It can be very, very difficult. It can be demanding, but it also too depends on the entity, you know, like you and I have talked about this a lot on, you know, TikTok lives where, there are certain entities that, you know, we both have that are a little bit more demanding, um, you know, Mm, for mm -hmm. offerings and devotional acts than others. And that's also okay. And that is not unusual. You know, like I, for example, like Artemis is, is, you know, I am a high priestess (laughs) of hers. She and everybody who knows me knows this and Ariel, (laughs) she's been sucked into this too. (laughs) Yes. She loves, loves, her water offerings <laughs> to be changed out on the regular. And I mean, like, regularly. Like, she like does not, signs, like... Signs, <laughs> little girl in the living room with a thousand cups of water. Level That's so of me, too. Changing water. Like, yes. there's dust in it. There's... There's, there's dog I, hair it in it. It looked at me wrong. Like, I swear <laughs> to the gods, it's... It's room temperature? Yes. I don't like that. <laughs> I need some ice. Okay. She's absolutely laughing in the corner yes. right now, but um, <laughs> she she's a lot more demanding when it comes to certain offerings, whereas Leviathan, on the other hand, who's another patron deity of mine, he is so lax. You know, he's just like, you You can give me an offering when when you think of me or like he'll, he'll ask for something once in a while, but he's really not as demanding. I would say Apollo, which is my third patron deity, I only have the three he's a bit middle ground. Like he'll ask for things more regularly, but he's not quite as, I feel like the word demanding is giving a bit of of the wrong idea, but it can sometimes be demanding. Uh, (laughs) 
but but he's kind of middle ground. So I, I've kind of got like a few levels of it. And I know you have also experienced the same thing with your patrons too. Yes. Um, yeah, no, I, I completely agree. It, and it also depends on how they're feeling that day. Too. <laughs> like sometimes they'll <laughs> yeah. wake up and just choose violence. They're just like, I need all the offerings today. And you're like, I'm sorry, <laughs> sir. It's a Friday. Like it's, <laughs> it's really dependent on how they're feeling. Um, but a good example of this is Lucifer, who is one of my patrons. And when he first, first, first came in for me, was very relaxed. He was he was pretty cool and chill with everything. And like, uh, I was still navigating homelessness at the time, um, not the to the intensity that it was before, but just staying with someone and and just things like that. And so I had like an altar set up for him and things like that. And he was helping me to figure that out. But he really wasn't asking for a lot of offerings. It was more so just focused on like shadow work and self work and things like that. But once I moved into my first apartment, and as soon as I set up an altar, it was every single morning, every single morning, (laughs) the first time I set up the altar, the next morning, he came into my room. And I was like, yo what's up and he was like I want an offering and I was like okay after breakfast and he was like no no and I was like oh okay okay cool all right I'm like, gonna go fight you yeah I was like I'm I'm not gonna make a big fuss but it was every single morning before I peed before I ate before I drank like anything I had to get up give him an offering and like tell him like what it is that I wanted Uh, that day or what it was that I was going to focus on and things like that but it was like relentless and I think Mm -hmm. I was like oh gosh how long did he do that he did it for like two or three months it was a long time and um at the end of it like because there were a couple days where I was just like can it wait and he was like no no and I was like okay and so after um he kind of started getting more relaxed and he left And I sat with it and I was just like, wow, why was he like so demanding? Like he went from like super casual, super relaxed, super chill to like this very, very demanding, very like, no, you need to do it now. Um, Don't wait, like don't put it off kind of thing. And I was sitting with it and I realized that it wasn't to annoy me. It wasn't to bother me. It wasn't to like try to... Um, show dominance which a lot of people will assume that that would be the case Mm -hmm. it was to teach self-discipline and that's the first thing that came to mind he is teaching you dedication he's teaching you commitment he's teaching you habit Mm -hmm. he's seeing how you react to him asking things of you and and this was before he became your patron right like this was when you were See what I'm saying? That's why I say, I just like clap my hands because I'm so excited about this. But (laughs) that's why I say all the time is that it's so important to work with the deity first before you move forward to an agreement to be a patron because you really want to see, do you work well together? So some people might not react well to that kind of, it it is a little bit of a demand, if you will, but some people might not vibe with that. And that's probably good for you to know as a practitioner Mm -hmm. and for the deity that's expecting growth from you in a specific area that you might not be ready for yet. Or it might just be that the deity is just like that. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, no, a thousand percent. Because like I said, he left after that. Mm-hmm. And I remember sitting back and kind of having a moment of being like, what the hell? Like, he totally just like, was like, <laughs> give me offerings and then like dined and dashed. And I was like, what the hell, dude? And Mr. So, Morningstar just fucking eat. I know. I know. He was just like, thanks for the pancakes. Bye. And, <laughs> and I was just like, okay. So I, because I, I had Medusa and and Lilith come in at the end of working with him. And mm-hmm. um and then one day literally out of the blue he was like I'm leaving. And I was like I'm sorry, what? Um <laughs> uh, because he had me Medusa and Lilith weren't actually asking for offerings, but he was demanding offerings for them every morning in addition to his offerings at like the last month that we were working together. And I was just like, dang, this is a lot. Like, oh my gosh, like I'm running out of supplies and (laughs) things like that. And um, it it wasn't until he left that I really sat with the experiences that I had with him. Because I worked with him for about a year by the time that he left. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, okay, I actually kind of miss him. I was like, I, at the time I felt like this, this, uh, frustration with the demands that he had and, and the frustration in, in how much it didn't seem that he cared for my feelings around it, which honestly they don't need to, they're not obligated to, but like you build a, what feels like a friendship with these deities um, a lot of the times and, and a closeness. And I, I missed seeing him every day. Like I missed the demands. Um, And that was when I realized that I actually wanted him to become my patron. And I don't Mm -hmm. think that I would have had that realization had he not left. And I find that a lot of people who do take on deities as patrons, that that deity works with that person um, either very intensely or goes through variations of intensity and then leaves and then comes back and becomes their patron. And I think that's really interesting because it it's kind of like this. Um, <laughs> I, I compare it to like uh, Pride and Prejudice, where like, there's this this battle of the wills between the two main characters, you know, like uh, Elizabeth Bennet and Mr. Darcy of just like fighting with each other and just being like, no, I'm right. No, you're right. No, like this is, this is how we should be doing this and things like that. And then when they separate, then you're just like, Oh, I've like grown very fond of this person. And I've learned so much about myself, but also about the world around me with having them in my life, even though they drive me absolutely insane. Um, God, I have a horrible mind because, like, you go to Pride and Prejudice, and I'm just like, they're giving you some of that spicy powder. You get hooked on it, and then they <laughs> peace, and you're oh like, "Sir, I'm hooked, man. Where are you going? <laughs> I need my fix." Like that is immediately where my brain went, which As is you just can like tell, outrageous. Alyssa is a Leo, and I'm a Pisces <laughs> because she goes to drugs and I go to romance. <laughs> It is hilarious how oh my it's God. just you can see that like in our regular conversations. It's so funny, man. But you know, you you hit on some really cool things, and and the the funny thing is, is now that you say it out loud, when you say that a lot of people have had their the deities that they work with leave and then come back before they enter into a patron agreement, I realized I didn't have 
that happen. <laughs> yeah, well, some people do, some people don't. I've seen a couple people have the same experience that I have, um, but I've also had, uh, I've also had a lot of people uh, share their disappointment in the fact that mm-hmm. once they took on a patron uh, deity, then that deity was like never around. <laughs> oh, and they oh were my like. Gosh. A- as soon as they agreed to be their patron, then they just weren't around as often. And I actually have found that with Lucifer. Um, Mm, He he is not present in the sense that, like, I I have what I call the intercom. (laughs) Um, Same. We 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 both call it the intercom. intercom Because it's it's the voices (laughs) in our heads of the deities, but they don't have to be, like, around us to where they're visually accessible yeah, it, to us yeah. um yeah. for us to interact so like a lot of times i'll call on lucifer in my head and he'll come over the quote-unquote intercom um and <laughs> <laughs> so he'll be chatting with me but I, that's primarily how i interact with him now um and that is very different than how it was when i was first um mm-hmm. working with him and does that mean that the deity work that I do with him is any less sacred or, or special or important? Absolutely not. But I no. think that it's important to remember that the idea of what you have of what deity work is and or what having a patron deity is, is probably going to be different mm-hmm. or, or skewed from what you expect. And Mm -hmm. that's really with anything. I think that there should be a kind of um, mindset of going in open-minded, but also realizing that it's important to be open to adjusting. Yeah, absolutely. And knowing that there's a reason for that adjustment needing to happen. And and this brings up a really interesting point as well, where deities may feel like they're there stronger and then they you know quote unquote leave although yes. I truly never believe they leave in entirety right. I, I just I mean you you that's my personal opinion but um but the, you remember if this is your patron deity this is a lifetime that you're going to be spending with them mm-hmm. so if they're not around now that doesn't mean that's going to be the case forever like right. until until you are finished with this lifetime like it's you literally have years ahead of you, hopefully. You live a long, happy, healthy life, and you have many, many years with your patron deity. And there will be instances throughout your life, you know, as life ebbs and flows with, you know, big events or periods of quietness or peace and periods of change and transformation and growth. You're going to see these deities coming and going in various different degrees, and that is also valid. And I, I'm, I'm happy that you brought that up because... I was just thinking about it as you were talking about your experience with Lucifer kind of being more on the intercom. And I realized that's quite the same as a pollen now. Mm-hmm. And he's very much through the intercom. Whereas I find um, Artemis and Leviathan have more of a physical presence in the space versus yes. the intercom. But that's just for now because right. sometimes they'll like maybe two will step back and give one like for instance I was working really really intensely with Artemis for a long while and Leviathan and Apollon both stepped back and really allowed her to take all of my attention um, but now that we have completed the work that we wanted to do and I met her expectations um, 
a Leviathan has really stepped forward and now has a, you know, a laundry list of things he wants me to start focusing on. And so he's taking a, a greater presence. So it's kind of like they're, they're like tag teaming. It's like, tag, you're it. Like you're in. <laughs> like. Yes, that's completely valid. And that's kind of what I experience with Astaroth too, because Astaroth is around pretty much, I-, I wouldn't say all the time, but like he is very, very present for me. And Azrael, for most of my childhood, was very, Mm -hmm. very present. And when I have different deities come in, because obviously, you know, I have Astaroth and Lucifer as the patrons. But when another deity comes in, like I was working with Odin for a while. And then um, Mm -hmm. I was I was kind of working with uh, Freya for a little bit. And while they were coming in and working with me, Lucifer and Astaroth very much took a, a step back. And, mm-hmm. and really let Odin be the, the main energy that was in my space so that it wasn't like this crowding sensation of energy and, and expectation mm-hmm. and intention. Because I think that there was, they were trying to make it to where I wasn't always being like, is this okay? Is this okay? Like just working with Odin the way that I needed to and then having him leave before I was able to kind of go back to the patronage. But I kind of want to hear your thoughts on the priest and priestess of a deity because I personally am not a a high priestess of any deity. So I don't feel like I can really talk on that subject, but because you have recently come into being a high priestess of Artemis or Artemis, um, I would really love for you to actually like go into that and and discuss that and talk about like what it means to go into an agreement like that with a deity. Yes. So you don't need to have the deity as a patron in order to become a priest or a high priestess uh, of a deity. But it, again, it's almost iterative. It almost makes sense to do that because you are devoting your life to them if they're your patron so i'm going to break it down into smaller steps so artemis or artemis um what has been with me my my whole life and we worked together for a specific period of time where we had you know clear goals clear things that we were aiming to achieve both for me and for us and then we moved towards a patron relationship where she set out very very clear almost, if you will, objectives. And she had very high expectations. She said, I want you to become a high priestess of mine. And in order to do so, you need to do X, Y, Z. You need to achieve X, Y, Z. You need to go through X, Y, Z. Like there were challenges and obstacles and there was just like zero room for slacking. I had to show her that I was willing to put in the work and then some. And so in order to to be able to call myself a high priestess, it was, she is the one who determined that. So it's important to to discern the difference between what uh, being a priestess of a Hellenic deity meant in, in the past and what it means to be one in modern day. It's different. There are different roles and functions. I'm not going to get too, too detailed into what it meant to be a priestess in ancient Greece, because that's a whole other <laughs> topic, yeah. but it, they're ser- they served different roles and functions. We don't have, you know, I don't have a temple 
that I could go to Dang, and serve Alyssa. the role. Uh, dude, I know. <laughs> I'm so pissed. I'm like so <laughs> mad that there's, I want, do you know how, dude, if I was rich, I would have a huge fucking temple just full of Greek statues everywhere. And I'd be like, oh my bitches, God. come I give your so offering. Like, I think everybody dreams of having like the bonfire in the backyard that they <laughs> yes! can dance around naked. But like, <laughs> Like, let's bring temples back, okay? Like, let's That's what do I this. Want, and man. not not the creepy Mormon ones, okay? I'm talking no. about like the the <laughs> like heathen temples, Hellenic temples, like dude. Temples, I want to like, fucking please somebody oh. build a Parthenon in the middle of downtown Ottawa, okay? Like the <laughs> Ottawa, it. Canada, the capital of Canada. I want the fucking do Parthenon. It. But what, there's no temple for me to attend to as a priestess. So, you know, back then, the priestess, the high priestess um, would have the keys to the temple. They would take care of temple. They would make sure the statues are clean and orderly, carry out rituals. Now, I'm going to stop there because that is something that is still done in modern day. So to be a modern day high priestess, and this is for me, it may be different for others, depending on the deity that they are uh, a high priestess for or depending on the expectations of the deity themselves. So it's kind of very much dependent. But for me, one of the functions I'm expected to be able to carry out is to um, recognize specific Hellenic events. So festivals, events, Mm -hmm. recognize them, celebrate them, uh, pay homage to them, uh, specific days like Elaphobolia or Elaph, I, don't, I, I can never say it correctly. It's it's a day of Artemis. It's March sixth. It had already it's already passed, but that would be um, from ancient times. That would be a, a day, a, a festival for um, Artemis, and it would. So I did something similar in a modern day context. You know, I don't have a bear pelt that I can put on and <laughs> dance around in the temple. I really wish I did, but I don't. So I made do with what I had. I made some honey cakes for her, and you know, gave her offerings and read hymns to her. Um, so that's that's part of it. Another part of it is to be able to carry out rituals for other people in the name of that deity. Mm. So, so this is where the most important role and function of a priestess comes into is that number one, number one, even historically today, to today, across the board, you are in service of others, first and foremost. So to be a high priestess is not a title that you flaunt around to make yourself feel better than others. You are, it's not about being better or being seen as more important or anything like that. It's literally, it's literally a title that you hold with pride because you know, at the core of it, it is to help others. So Mm -hmm. it's what I pretty much do anyway, but but really through the lens of how does Artemis want me to help others? How does she want me to help people heal and to connect with their higher selves, to ascend, to connect with mother earth? Cause obviously that's quite important to her. Um, So again, it's, it's situational depending on the deity. So, so that's part of it. Other parts of it is, and I want to preface this by saying, it's not like preaching. I'm not going around trying to convert people to <laughs> Hellenic polytheism. Our goddess and savior, <laughs> <laughs> she, I could just feel the eye roll from her right now. Um, that is not 
how she rolls, man. That is just not her thing. She does not expect that, at least for me. I don't go around trying to convert people to Hellenismos. I don't go around trying to convert people to Hellenic paganism or polytheism. I, that's not what I do. But I will talk about her happily and with so much passion because she deserves it if people ask about her or if I'm given space to be able to share about ancient Greece or to be able to share about Hellenismos, to be able to share about her or her brother Apollon or her mother Leto. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's very much like you carry, you carry the energies of that deity with you every day. And you want to, you want to live a life that makes them proud for you to be able to carry that, those energies and the title that comes with it. So it's very much something that, you know, it took a lot of work to get there. It wasn't just, I decided one day I was going to be this. She, it was rigorous. It was very rigorous. And she had to be the one to give me the a-okay. And with that, I was able to then call myself a high priestess. And I did get this confirmed by the way, which is something I like to do. I'm a scientist by trade. So I like to just have confirmation because that's left brain versus right brain, you know, going on. But that's not something I had to do because I trust the relationship we have, but it's something I just wanted to do. So, so that's kind of the role and function that I take on now, but but it's going to change and evolve over time as I continue to grow and change over time. And hopefully there will come a day where I will be able to address topics like this, whether it's working with Hellenic deities or talking about ancient Greece or talking about Hellenic polytheism or working with Artemis or with Apollon or whatever fairly regularly, because that's the goal is eventually I can, I can really express and talk about it in a broader sort of way and more frequently because that's what they would like to see and that's what I would like to do anyway. But again, it's not with the caveat of trying to convert. It's literally just because I fucking love it. And <laughs> like, that's where we're at. Like, it's a passion thing. <laughs> what I've been trying to describe is that really it's dedicating your entire life to, to the craft itself, to the practice itself. And then also in honor of a specific deity. It also gets conflated quite often with being an oracle of. And so um, that's, I could have an entire podcast episode about oracles and priestesses and, and how they're similar <laughs> and different. But I, yeah. I'm just going to give you the Coles note version is another form and function of high priestess is that you can almost speak on behalf of the gods or the right. deities, as right. if they're speaking through you, which I also can do, which is kind of, in a sense, channeling, um, which I also have the ability to do, or to be able to give guidance from that deity themselves, or in this case, would be Artemis. So teaching ceremony, um, teaching ceremonies, formal rituals, dedication ceremonies, these are all really important roles and functions as well. But initiation to become a high priestess looks much different now than it did in the past. And even it was a lot easier in the past than you might even imagine. Like you could be born into it, like no work. <laughs> like it's literally something that used to go, like it used to be if you were from a really rich family and you were, you know, of high prestige in the social, in the social fabric, you would essentially be in line to become a priest or a priestess. Like it's, it was that easy at, in that time, which is, Maybe the case now, I don't know. But at least for me, it was it was a whole hell of a lot of work. 
And really, again, it goes back to service to others, providing guidance to either members of their personal coven, which I am in a coven of my own, of which Ariel is a part of, and we guide each other, (laughs) is to be able to help others emotionally, mentally, spiritually. Um, It's where you carry yourself in that, in like I said, in the image of that deity through their archetypes. It's where you help others to find their truth. You are not judgmental. You seek to teach and to educate and to grow. Um, Nothing is is too taboo to to at least address or to talk about you're willing to change your opinion and hear others and and so all of this is encompassed within that the within the title of being a high priestess so it's not easy it's not easy it takes a ton of time and energy it's another layer of work on top of the patron relationship that already exists it's it's actually in addition to that's really in a nutshell what it is I mean I could go on longer and I'm sure people have questions and I welcome the questions and I would love to hear if other people are uh high priestesses to to like tell us about I would like to hear about it and how and how you came to be in that role but in a nutshell that that is what it is and and so it's something that i i live my life by and i'm very proud and devoted to my goddess and it's something that i like it's a huge huge honor to me yeah well artemis is is beautiful she's she's such an amazing goddess um she's so incredible fanning herself just like oh please (laughs) thank you thank you so much like twirling her little hairs like just like yeah i am and what about it no but she's actually incredible though she's she's intense but she's beautiful and she's caring and she's she's tough and she's demanding but she's so oh she's all the beautiful words that you could think of she's everything and then some it's it's hard to really put how much you care about your patrons or or who you serve as a high priestess into words it's, it's really hard to yes. kind of articulate at least it is for me <laughs> like I want to use all the adjectives yes well and I I think I'm um, talking about high priestesship and and things like that with deities as well as talking about patron deities and honestly Mm -hmm. deity work in general a little bit, but more so when a a deity is your patron or you are a high priestess or a priest of that deity. Um, And honestly kind of touching on God spousing as well is it's very important to remember that when you say that you have a deity as a patron, or when you say that you are a high priest or a priestess of a deity, or you are uh, a god spouse of a deity, you are representing that deity to the world. Oh, say it and louder it for the people so in the back. It is important to remember this. Yes. Because yes, there yes. are too many people who use it as a power move. Oh. And it's very damaging because, mm-hmm. um, like, we see this a lot within uh, Norse paganism. Norse paganism, Mm -hmm. there are uh, kind of branches. uh, Well, I don't want to call them branches because they, as far as like Norse pagans want to like, want to see it. We don't want to even acknowledge that there's white supremacy within uh, Norse paganism, but there unfortunately is. And it's, it's more prevalent than we would like it to be. Um, And because of that, 
they use Odin's symbols. They use his name and they use his being against people of minor- that are minorities. And it's Ugh. horrifying and it's nauseating for people who uh, work with or have a patron as Odin or really any Norse god or goddess um, because you don't want to be associated with, the, with those people. So please do not be a dickhead and be that yeah. person that we don't want to be associated with. Because remember that when you are taking on, a, I know that when I speak about Lucifer, when I speak about Astroth, I am, I am someone who is representing their energy to the world. Mm-hmm. And it's, I take that very seriously. And um, I think it's important to remember that at the end of the day, you want to make sure that you are representing who you're worshiping in a way that would honor them and not a way that would go against who they are as a God, what they stand for, what their archetype is. Um, Because, you know, going kind of back to um, heathenism, just because that's kind of online with this. Um, Norse paganism as, as a, a belief system and as a practice really is not about separation. It's about community. And it was all about, um, helping others, taking others in, working through differences, working through disagreements and a separating if need be, but like overall the, the focus was community and, and support Mm -hmm. And um, it's so it's so vile that there would be groups of people who would use the the word and the title of Norse pagan or or heathen and use it as a way to kind of suppress what it represents um, mm-hmm. and what it is supposed to represent. Um, it's very very sad and it makes me extremely upset, but. Um, going from that, I kind of want to touch on God spousing because a lot of people ask about God spousing. It was kind of a popular topic um, on TikTok for quite a while, a couple mm-hmm. months back in um, the winter. And yeah. I, I personally am God spoused. Um, and I know two other people or three other people who are also God spoused. Um, and I think there's kind of this... <laughs> there's this assumption um, that when people say they're God spoused, that they're like the people who are married to train stations or something. <laughs> it's <laughs> that's the best example that I have to give, but it's, I promise that it's not like that. Um, I I think there's kind of this assumption that uh, I what was I can't remember what they were called, but there was like a group online for a while. I think they were called like the Snape Wives or something. Where, oh my god! <laughs> where oh my it was, god. <laughs> where it was people who believed uh, that they were married to and had a relationship with the character Snape from Harry Potter. And um, I'm in no place <laughs> to discredit them because it's not my place to judge, right? But um, it is. Uh, I, I want to separate God spousing, the idea of God spousing that people have in their heads away from that because I, it's not the same thing. Um, 
now for some people, it might be very similar to that. I'm not going to discount it and say that it can't be right. Or that it isn't because everybody's practice is different. But for the most part, the people who are God's spouse or no, I know four, four people. Yeah. Four people. Sorry. I I'm like recounting in my head. Um, I know a fair number as well. Yeah. It, it, God's spousing is probably more prevalent than people think it's it's just that not everybody exactly because it it is a a a very um highly contentious topic that yes that either people come at it from missing from a misinformed point of view or from a judgmental point of view yes well and that's the reason why um i think that it's important to look at god spousing uh in a different light because the fact that a lot of people who are God spoused don't talk about it mm-hmm. is something that you should take note of because mm-hmm. if it was something that people were doing to make themselves seem superior, it would probably be talked about more. Yeah. And the fact that it's not indicates how sacred it is and how intimate it is, not necessarily in a sexual sense, but it's intimate because you are intertwining your energy with a god or a goddess or a being that you are working with on an intimate level. And um, Alyssa and I were talking about this earlier of like, what's the difference between having a a deity be a patron deity and a deity being a god spouse? Because Mm -hmm. a lot of, in a lot of ways, it's very, very similar. Um, There is a dedication that comes with god spousing um, that I would say is very in, in line and parallel, if not the same as to a patron relationship because when you're mm-hmm. god spousing to a deity um that is something where you are agreeing to be connected to them energetically uh on an intimate level for yeah. however long that agreement lasts whether that's a lifetime whether that's years or you know sometimes there's a god spousing that happens to help uh create further healing for someone mm-hmm. um I know that I have found uh, healing through my sexual traumas, through my God spousing. Um, so there's that aspect of it. There can be things where it's it's short term, but it can also be long term. So it's a little bit more flexible um, than a patron uh, relationship in that sense. And a lot of people are going to assume that if you say God spousing, you're talking about a sexual relationship with a deity. And it can right. be that. Right. And it can also be platonic, though. Right. Or even so there's a few different categories. And I'm going to let you expand because I only know of a few, but I know that there's more. So you can have familial God spousing, which would be more like a parentage Mm -hmm. sort of relationship. You can have romantic. You can have platonic. And let me know if there's any others, because those are the three that I know off the top of my head. Yeah, I I haven't heard a lot about familials, so I can't really speak on that. Um, but I do, I, I am somewhat familiar with uh, the platonic ones and definitely familiar with the romantic. And mm-hmm. what I like to compare God spousing to is nuns. Nuns... Um, <sighs> yeah (laughs) and and, and here's why here's why um there's (laughs) Alyssa's like I'm trying not to die inside Um, I'm like "Ah!" (laughs) but but here's why I compare it to that 
is that a nun is someone who marries the deity that she is worshiping. A, a nun actually goes into celibacy um, because she is having a relationship with Christ. Now, that relationship usually is not sexual, but it is something where it's very much similar to a patron um, connection in that sense. It's that dedication, the deep dedication, and making decisions based on agreement with that deity in your life, right? Um, it can be sexual. And a lot of people are like, well, Ar- Ariel, how the fuck is it sexual? Because like, <laughs> like, what are we talking about? Like fantasizing I can, or like, dude, I can just hear the questions yes. that are floating in people's heads right now. Like, trust me, I can hear you being like, how do you have <laughs> sex with yes. a spirit or an entity? And yes. but it can yeah. happen. It can happen. It can. And yep. there's a couple different ways to do it. And I'm going to go over it because we're all adults here. And I'm going to put a warning on in the description mm-hmm. of this episode. I'm also going to do a little thing at the end so we can have a, a little warning at the beginning. Um, we've gone deeper than I thought we would, friends. But this is, this is organic conversation, <laughs> this is, my dear. This, this is, is important and it's organic and it needs to go here. It needs and to I go this deep. This is going to be one of my proudest episodes because we're touching on some of the most important like relationships that you can have with deities it's it's more than deity work it's it's yes. literally like relation like deities and you <laughs> you yes. and deities what does it look like and what can it look like mm-hmm. yeah because it can look so many different ways like people think yeah. oh i'm just going to start deity work but you're like well get, be and? ready be ready <laughs> because it could go any number of ways yes. man like you could be just working with them effect. it could be a patron you could be god spouse to them you could be you could be a high priestess or, or a priest you know or you could be an oracle of it, yes. it's it's almost mind-boggling but there are differences and nuances with each and so uh yeah i'm yeah. happy that we're talking about it you can have a past life connection with a deity and that can actually turn into a god spouse over multiple lifetimes. Now, yes. this also can happen with patronages. Uh, yes. Is that which right, is the case is that for the me? Right term? Am I using that? Pa- patronages, patron- yeah. Okay. Pa- patronage is sure. also fine. Because sometimes word- I don't want to sound too homeschooled. Like, dude, I might. I don't want to sound too public schooled, but but no, but like you could have like patron is a word that encompasses uh, what people say as matron, which I have my own thoughts I, on that. Yeah, but, I don't personally like that term just because I, find I don't either. That it doesn't. It's to me it it takes away from it's also the actual definition of the word yeah. is extremely yeah. off-putting it's actually like gender neutral yes it's it's gender neutral so a lot of people so, don't realize yeah. that they can use that for both um, although some people say patroness which is also fine there's no yeah. need to do it yeah you don't have it's, to. it's like saying to you. it's 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 like saying walmart instead of walmart it's like it's no, still the wrong. same thing, <laughs> but <wrong>. there's no. <laughs> no is dude, wrong. dude, my that? mom is one of those people no. that puts s on it. Vic- it's not Victoria's Secret. It's Victoria's Secrets. No, <laughs> dude, dude, secret. she puts she pluralizes the fuck out of everything, and oh I'm like, my man, gosh. it's KFCs. Is oh it KFCs? God. 
part of the cat. It's so fucking funny. Oh but, my god. But really, pa- patron, like the the term, is gender neutral, and with with patron relationships, that can also be over lifetimes. Yes. Absolutely. So yes. that could be related to past lives. It can also be connected to your soul. Yes. And th- and this is one reason why I wanted to bring this up is because a lot of people assume that like, okay, let's say that you get a, a, a past life reading from someone, right? And they're like, mm-hmm. you were God's spouse, you were pat- uh, you had a patron of blah, blah, blah. Uh, in mm-hmm. this lifetime and they want to be uh, they like they are a patron for you in this lifetime no mm-hmm. no 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 that is not you still need works. consent you, in this yes. lifetime yes. yes you cannot have someone just say that you have a patron yeah, of no. apollo in this lifetime because you were you had him as a patron in past lifetimes you Red still flag. have to connect to that deity in this yep. lifetime and make that commitment to them in this lifetime and have that mm-hmm. consent because a hundred percent and it, that's it, exactly like, the exact student all three of my patrons i've been patrons of them in past lives and have been connected with them over multiple past lives and have made the commitment over and over and over yeah. again because you have to yeah. You have to have that consent in each lifetime. Yeah. Well, it's like if you think about it in this in terms of like n- normal people. Astroff is like looking at me offended. It, you're technically normal. What do you mean normal but, people? <laughs> he's like, yeah, no. um, but like let's say that you were married to someone in a past life and someone said, Oh, you were married to Bob down the street in a past life. Um, so you're married to him in this lifetime. You're like, yeah, that's a big no. Me? You're no like, thanks, what if Bob. I want? Yeah, what if I don't like Bob in this lifetime? Like Bob can suck it. Like I don't want it. <laughs> I don't want it. Um, so there's always consent is so important in yeah. this sense, and I I do agree with Alyssa. It's a red flag if someone says that they should yeah. always indicate. That, that there is a recommitment necessary Correct. in order for that connection to move forward in this lifetime. Um, because Correct. that's what it, a patronage is. And that is, you know what it makes me think is a partridge. Partridge <laughs> in a pear tree. Yeah, that's what it makes me think of. That's why I keep stopping myself mentally Pat- every time Trinid. I say that. Yeah, a little, a little bird. Um, and like so, I've, I've given readings to people where I've discovered through communicating with deities that they have a much deeper connection to a deity yeah, from past yeah. lives before, but always with the caveat that in light of this knowledge, you have free will and you require yes. like your consent is required in order to have that level of commitment to this deity. Like the, the yes. ball is in your court at Absolutely. all times. Absolutely. Now, before I give the the, fo- the microphone back over to you, I do want to say one thing about um, patron relationships super quick. With patron relationships, when you take on a patron and you make an agreement, I'm going to use my own agreements with Artemis, Apollon, and Leviathan as an example. It's not something that I can walk away from. Like, I, I made this commitment to the end of my lifetime and beyond but for this lifetime i cannot walk away from it there are there there were almost um clauses if you will where there were certain things that were just boundaries like for instance i refuse at any point to harm animals or another person if 
if like I refuse to do that if they asked me to do that that's a hard no and they needed to agree to that before we moved forward another one was I um, am under the understanding that this agreement ends when my lifetime ends when my meat sack is dead I that's the only way that this particular agreement ends like there's no me deciding one day I'm really annoyed with uh Leviathan um he's giving me the side I I'm really annoyed with Leviathan (laughs) so I'm just like done with you like that is not how it works and especially with what Ariel's talking about um with God spousing as well it is not something that you agree to and just can willy-nilly walk away from yeah yeah and this is i mean obviously like contracts um like (laughs) contracts with the devil um (laughs) contracts with with deities are going to vary from person to person but for the most part god spousing and having a patron and being a high priestess are very committed roles in deity work so committed and um and the length of that at least with God spousing, because with with high priestess uh, and and priest positions, um, I I see that as lifetime, and mm-hmm. I see that the same with patron. But God spousing, I feel like, is a little bit more flexible. I I do believe that you can be God spoused to a deity for however long you agree to have that God spousing. Um, now, I don't think it's very common for people to have short or even temporary God spousing. I think it's actually more common for people to have lifetime God spousing. And that's mm-hmm. what mine will be to Astaroth, uh, or mm-hmm. is to Astaroth. But, but you can have sexual connections with a deity you are working with. And that is different than yes. having a God spouse. Um, yes, because, because you can have like, uh, a deity that you're working with that asks for sexual offerings, like going back to offerings, he, they can ask for uh, masturbation. They can ask for um, you to dedicate your uh, your sex with your partner or a lover yep. to them. Um, there's so many different ways that that can be involved without it actually being God spoused. Another mm-hmm. thing that I want to make clear on God spousing before we get into how um, sexual connections, like how that works, is that you should not expect them to only be with you. They are a cosmic being. Mm. It is, they do not apply to the rules or no. the, the morals of humans. Um, yeah. And... And there is uh, a very big misconception uh, that I've seen a, a lot um, on the internet um, of people saying, oh, well, I'm, I'm uh, God's spouse to Adis and he's going to leave Persephone for me. And I'm like, no, 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 no. <gasps> oh, my fucking Hellenic <laughs> pagan blood is boiling. Holy um, shit. Are yeah. you fucking, they are so, oh my God. I am so happy they haven't come across my FYP. <laughs> oh my god! So, oh, but, mm, okay. I need to like. Cu- I instantly started sweating. Instantly started sweating out of anger, I'm pure, damp. Yeah. pure, and all unadulterated rage is what I'm feeling right now at just hearing that. And 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 I like. I need to like breathe. <laughs> breathe. Yeah, well, I need to breathe. Yeah. You cannot. You cannot cage air. Yeah. Like think of it like this. They are cosmic 
beings. They are entities. You cannot, it's like trying to cage air. You can't do it. And why would you want to? And why do you think you are capable of that? And why right. would you want to do that? Right. Like, it's just, you cannot apply this human perspective, especially one that's extremely influenced by Christianity yes. of, in terms of monogamy, because monogamy is not the, is not the default across the board. It is just part of a culture. Um, there are many different ways to view relationships and you cannot dictate an entity, a deity, what they can and cannot do. There have been a lot of discussions that Alyssa and I and, and also members of our coven have all had together on God spousing and how, uh, because, you know, there, there's a discussion that happens around um, people who say things like that of where they're very possessive of the, the God or goddess that they're God spouse to. And there's, there, there's, uh, there has to be an understanding that that is a human emotion and, yeah. and it's normal to have that human emotion, right? We're going to feel emotions. That's what we do as humans. But it's important to look at it in the sense of why am I feeling jealous about someone else having a connection with a deity in the same sense that I do? What is it that's making me um, have an issue with that? Because it's not a problem with the God. It's a problem with you. It is a mm -hmm. self-work thing that needs to be looked at. And if you are uncomfortable with a non-monogamous connection with a deity, you should not God spouse with them. No, and you should 100%. not be. You should not take them on as a patron. You should not take. No. Uh, you should should not become a high priestess or a priest of them. Because, no, oh, no way. Because mm -hmm. you have to be willing to share. <laughs> um, but why wouldn't you want to? That's right. the joy of sharing the the beauty of being connected to a, the particular deity in question. Right. And I think it's important to re remember that being comfortable with non monogamy in a god spousing in a patron relationship in a priestesship is not saying that you are comfortable with that being in your human relationships and i think people think that if you are monogamous in your human relationships you have to have that same thing that you carry over into uh deity relationships like mm -hmm. i know that astaroth has other god spouse like i know yeah. that he does mm -hmm. and um but i in my personal human relationships am not comfortable with anything other than monogamy so there's that understanding of the human side of things the human based things and then mm -hmm. the spiritually based things because to me i i care for astroth i i truly care for him very deeply and i I do have a deep connection with him, but I also am not possessive of him. Yeah, you cannot exactly. possess a God. You cannot you possess a goddess. You cannot no. possess spirit. Um, it no. is not possible and it's not supposed to happen. You are no. supposed to learn from them. They are not supposed to learn from you. Um, a God also, and this, you know what? This is a perfect segue. No, we're not going to get into trickster spirits yet. But we are getting to that. But I want to go over different ways that you can have the sexual relationships with the goddess mm, or gods yes. before getting into that. But I do want to touch on uh, that 
a God would never leave their spouse for you. Never. Period. Ever. ever. Period. Because Period. why the hell would they? Anyways, yeah, so getting into the the ways that you can connect to a, a deity on a sexual level, a lot of people are like, okay, how do you do this? Do you, is it through, like, like vroom, vroom, or are we, like, meditating? <laughs> like, how are we doing this? And there's a couple <laughs> different ways you can do it. There's meditation where you go into a meditative state, and then you just meditate and have this meditative experience where it's all astral-based, right? Um, Mm -hmm. sometimes it's just in an astral space. Sometimes it's in a room. Sometimes it's in, you know, like somewhere where you're you're familiar. It really depends on the person. Um, there are also ways where you can, uh, like some people dedicate like, um, dildos or toys to them. Um, and, and utilize that as a way to give offerings and to connect with their, uh, their God spouse. Um, there's also ways to do it through like uh, some people do it through dreaming. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes people do it through um, sigil. So they'll, they'll create mm. a sigil that they focus on while they're masturbating or having sex or things like that and send that kind of energy and that intention to their, you know, God spouse. And then that will be a connection that way. Um, there's so many different ways to connect via God spousing sexually, if that is something that you choose to do, or that's the kind of connection you have. Um, and to be honest, if you are God spoused and you're sexually God spoused, you already have a way to do that. <laughs> Cause yeah. it just kind of comes naturally. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like when you have a partner and, and you just, you figure it out. Like you, you just figure out your, your ways of doing yep. things. So it's, it's very much, um, a very wide spectrum of ways to do that. And so I just wanted to touch on that. Another thing that I wanted to mention going back to kind of assuming that a god or a goddess would leave their connected counterparts that are included within a belief system, like for example, uh, Odin and Frega, or Adis and Persephone, or um, uh, Zeus and Hera, having them leave them is a listen. And we're talking about this. It's disrespectful. It's disrespectful disrespectful. to the deity that you're working with because it shows that you have no respect for their counterpart, which is, is very insulting. Um, Because a lot of people who work with like Odin uh, just by default work with Frega on the mm-hmm. side or, or give her offerings as a thank you for allowing us to spend time with Odin. Um, and absolutely is... the same with Zeus and Ira. Like it yeah. is absolutely the same. If I'm, well, I mean, it's a little bit different well, for even, me because it's for, my like, whole practice to yeah. devote, like to be worshiping them. But yes. for, even for people who just work with Zeus or just, you know, like they will give offerings most likely to their, to their spouse. Yeah. Yeah, well, that and, like, um, uh, uh, it's even the same with uh, Freya and um, Freya. Or, like, mm-hmm, Ar- mm-hmm. Artemis and Apollon. Like, that's... Yeah, even though they're siblings. Right. Even though they're siblings, there's still, there's still, still there. such a deep connection that it almost 
it almost becomes a package deal. You're yeah. more than likely going to experience yeah, their, their counterpart. <laughs> yeah, it's a yeah. two for one deal. <laughs> a thousand percent. It's a you only Tuesday. get the coupon if you get both. <laughs> um, Very much so. But yeah, it's, uh, I'm really, really glad that you are bringing this up because it's so incredibly important to to understand and and this is why deity work can be so enlightening and also just being able to know thyself which is really really important yes and is actually an axiom as part of hellenismos and hellenic polytheism is to know thyself it's one of the basis of the entire practice is that you need to be able to identify is this a you problem yeah is this something that is coming from you and is this an ego that is trying to force its way to the surface. Is this an insecurity? Does this perhaps- Is this a trauma response? Right, does this perhaps prompt some shadow work? Yeah. Uh, Does this perhaps prompt some uh, professional services to assist you with trauma or whatever it may be? Which by the way, we highly encourage. I love therapy. (laughs) Pro therapy, like it is the best. It is the best. I, I feel like a lot of people talk about shadow work. I know there's a bit of a tangent, but people do talk about shadow work without saying that it's really important that you should also be seeing a professional if you can, if that's available yeah, to you, because yeah. it really is important to take care of yourself. Yeah, well, it can it can bring up a lot of stuff. And I think the yeah. knowing thyself, um, because the motto in my business is know thyself, know thy power. Because mm-hmm. as you know yourself, the more you know yourself, the more intimate you are with yourself. Um, 100% the more you understand your abilities and your power and things like that and that that will have to be another episode because that's a whole topic in itself it's um, also directly tied to a pollen so I cannot wait like, to have that opposite. Yeah. He, he's, he's like, like rubbing ready. his hands together he's yes. like yes he's just like frothing at the mouth to talk about it so we'll have a, an episode on that yes um and but one thing that I wanted to mention was that um, that that viewpoint that knowing yourself should be across the board, regardless of what you practice, yeah. that should be one of the pillars of your practice is yeah. knowing yourself on as deep of a level as you can. Um, but not just knowing yourself, but evolving with yourself mm-hmm. because you are going to change um, I want to go yeah. into that topic so badly, but I'm, I know I'm, I'm itching, myself. I'm but we myself. need to backpedal and um, go back to God spousing. <laughs> yes, because that's going to segue. us, it's going to bring us to trickster spirits, which I think we're ready to talk about. Yes. This, I, I'm taking a deep breath because okay, there's a lot to say about this. Um, this mm-hmm. has been a common topic that has come up on TikTok for probably the last, what, like two or three years Oh, it's, um, it never ends. Yeah, it's, it, it's it never always. Ends. And uh, so for those who are unaware, trickster spirit or an imposter spirit is, um, is what people call a, a being that poses as a god, a goddess, or a being, or a loved one, or something like that. So they're coming across as one thing when they are not that. So for example... Um, let's say that there's a being that comes into your space and says, hi, I'm, I'm Freya. Right. And you're like, Mm -hmm. okay, cool. And you start working with this being and then it turns out that they're not Freya. Right. And that would be considered an imposter or a trickster spirit. Okay. Um, that's what we're talking about when we talk about trickster spirits, but a lot of people are, are 
talking about how it's important to vet your deities every single time you work with them. Some people, there's, okay, there's a couple different things. Some people say that you have to vet them every single time you interact. Oh other my people, God. That's a lot. Other Whoa. People, I've <laughs> also heard people say that when you first meet them, then you should be vetting them. Um, and I've also heard from people that they never vet them. So there's a, a bunch of different I, like ideas and ways of doing this across the spectrum. And it really depends on the person. Uh, I think I want to mention both um, Alyssa's and my personal views before we get into our beliefs or our opinions on others' mm-hmm. views, because I think it will help give context to where we're yes. coming from and why. Um, I personally protect my space heavily. Uh, and when I say my space, I'm talking about my whole apartment in addition to my living spaces. Um, Like my sacred spaces have their own bubbles of protection in addition to the house having its bubble of protection, in addition to to myself having protection, in addition to my astral self having protection. Like there's so many different layers upon layers within the protective uh, bubble around my life, right? And in those levels, in those layers there is intention that only things with the highest intention for me and those around me are allowed to come in and are allowed to interact with me. Does that mean that I never have spirits or entities that are just a little like, no, it doesn't. But the difference is that when they come through, I know that there's a reason for it Mm -hmm. because they're not coming through to antagonize me they're coming through to teach me because if they did not have my highest intention in mind they would not be able to get in perfectly said and it is the exact same for me layers of protection like layers of like an onion that's how we view our protections it's how i always talk about protections it's so important to have them in layers and you know protections can be an entirely side topic of its own as well but but have some that nobody else even knows like not even your friends or your spouse like you keep it completely to you and you alone and and Ariel's completely correct and with these level of these levels of protection when I'm communicating with entities either known or unknown I never worry about it being a trickster I just don't I have had zero experiences with a trickster because it like honestly before coming on TikTok or being really active in social media specifically TikTok it's never even been something that has crossed my mind or been on my radar. Yeah. It, it, it's, it, it hasn't because I've always been protected <laughs> either like with those layers of protections and even divinely protected. But yeah. also, but also it's just, I've never allowed that to be a problem in my headspace. Another thing that I want to mention is that the other, the only times that I've actually had what I would consider a trickster spirit come through has been so quick of an interaction that I I don't know how people have these trickster connections for long amounts of time. Because mm-hmm. right off the bat, you know something is off. Like, it yeah. doesn't feel right. Even if I've never met a being before, like, yeah. if it's a new being in my space, like, let's say it's uh, something that's claiming to be an infernal that I've never met, right? Um, you 
there's an energy signature that they have. And I, I, I do have to say that maybe this is just because of my abilities. I don't know. But like, for me, it's very apparent when something is off. And yeah. you just like, when you have it, doubts about something, that is something that should be explored and not ignored. 100%. And, that is exactly what I say. Trust your intuition. Yeah, if it feels like, off, it is. If yeah. it doesn't, it isn't. Because it's possible <laughs> that you could just feel uncomfortable because it's a new energy, right? Mm-hmm. It could be legitimately the the being that you're working with. Could be. But it's still important to investigate and and explore that regardless because it helps you to understand your intuition and your um your energetic uh pickups right but it also helps you to understand what it is that you need to be setting up and if that's that you know protection isn't working or filters aren't working right um but but this is where i want to jump in yeah because there is well there's a level of skepticism that's healthy. There's a level yes. of vetting, I'm sure, that yes. is healthy. There's nothing I really, wrong with asking questions. A hundred percent. I really just want to encourage people to stay away from this, like, incessant fear or incessant yes. worrying that yes. you're just, it's going to happen every single time you talk yes. to an entity. Like, it, there's, it, it's finding that balance, again, between, you know, being protecting yourself and your space yes and and asking those questions which uh, is is great that's healthy but just be careful not to let it consume you don't let it become a fear that controls how you interact with Mm -hmm. deities and spirit and how you conduct your practice and how you conduct yourself because that that is why it's so prevalent on social media because we have to stop and remember how does TikTok work? It works by enticing emotions. Yes. And if people are screaming and going on that, you know, they're having issues with trickster spirits and they're talking about these outlandish experiences and they're enticing people to, to they're motivating you to pay attention via fear, that is what you're going to see. And yes. trust me when I say it, it really, I before, like I said, before TikTok, it has never been something that has even crossed my mind. Like, yeah. <laughs> it, yeah. even though I'm sure it happens, like, I'm not saying it doesn't. Oh, yeah. It's, sure. it's just, you, you have just to remember where heavily. you're, right, where you're consuming this information is also important to look at it through that lens as well, is where, where are you getting this information from? And just as much as there's an important level of skepticism and discernment with where you're finding the information it's also important to understand what is the information you're being given is this the full story yes. is this person uh is this is this person reputable is this person someone you trust is this something you want to ask more questions about like that's why uh, for ariel and i it's really important to talk about this subject is because it is one that just never goes away yeah it just keeps coming it's back <laughs> it's like the annoying fly yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, the reason why I think this is so important to talk about is like you said, this this um just this constant worry that you're doing something wrong. And this is mm-hmm. goes back to uh, uh this goes over the subject of abilities too. Um mm-hmm. as Alyssa and I always say, doubt is a, an ability killer. And it oh, it's will a clear also- killer. Yeah, it's a clear killer, but it will also be a connection killer. 
and it will be Mm -hmm. a confidence killer and it will be a power killer too. Because when you are, you have to have a level of trust. You have to have a level of trust. There has Mm -hmm. to be a level of trust that you have with yourself, with your power, with your deities Mm -hmm. and spirit around you that if it's coming through for you, there is a reason and you might not know it yet or might not understand it yet. But I, I think it's important to remember that there, like I said before, it is, there's nothing wrong with asking questions. There's nothing no. wrong with fetting them at first. Specifically with infernals, because they have such a bad reputation and they've been shown in such a, a, a bad light. And Ariel and I are both demon ultresses. We both work with demons and we both have, she has two demons as a patron. And I have one. One of the things that when we're talking about working with demons and, and um, introducing yourself to demons, if you feel like, you need to protect yourself before they come in, like please outside of your regular protections. In. Yeah, please, please don't. don't please don't. Because that's a problem that is within yourself that you need to identify. Yeah. And I would that not recommend be addressed before you ever call. Correct. That. Correct. Now, and that again goes back to this fear thing. It's it's and that's why I'm so glad that you're talking about having that level of trust in yourself. And, and that doubt can absolutely hinder and dampen your abilities and hamper, uh, uh, I was going to say hampen, ha, <laughs> hamper and dampen. <laughs> it's going to hampen your clear. It's true though. It will. It yes. absolutely will do that. And by the way, this is important that I want to say is that that is absolutely and totally normal it happens to everybody at some point or another along our spiritual path we're all human we all experience doubts or we have imposter syndrome things like that it's totally okay but it's important to recognize and to address uh you know when you're comfortable with with doing so it's just it's i just want to make it clear that when things are based out of fear there's work to be done there yes fear is not an indicator of stop fear is an mm-hmm. indicator of exploring and ah, i think that that's said. something that beautifully is said. very often overlooked because often when we feel fear for something we stop right we pause mm-hmm. and we run away and we want to avoid it rather than exploring that and this is mm-hmm. one thing that Alyssa and i feel very passionate about is that Fear is not something to run away from. There's Mm -hmm. um, a story that I have from someone I'll I'll share really quick because it applies where someone was having trouble with all these nightmares. They were having like um, these nightmares of something chasing them. They were having nightmares of this, like, I think it was like a big bear or something like that chasing them in every single nightmare and they couldn't get away from them. And then they like would wake up in a panic being chased by this bear And they went to someone and were like, hey, what do I do? Like, I don't know how to make this stop. And they were like, well, have you ever turned around and faced the bear and asked it why it's chasing you? Mm -hmm. And and so they have another dream, right? They're being chased by this bear. And they turn around and they say, why are you chasing me? And the bear said, why are you running? And that is an indicator that spirit can put you in difficult situations. It can put you in, in scary situations to teach you how to turn around and say, what the fuck do you want? Yeah. What do you want? What, are what we is doing? going on? Where are <laughs> yeah, we going? What is this? What are we doing? <laughs> well, let's talk Something about this bestie. 
Yeah. What the fuck? And, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think that it's important to apply this to deity work as well. But another thing to remember is that um, I, I do want to mention this because this can happen. I've heard about it a couple times happening. You can have a deity what do what they call concealing, which means yeah, that yeah, they yeah. can con- come through as a concealed entity that is mm-hmm. not indicating who they are or what their intentions are with you. Um, but they are allowing you to get used to their energy before they yes. introduce themselves. A Lucifer yes. has done this a lot with people because a lot yes. of people have shitty um, assumptions about him. Sorry mm-hmm. for my strong language, but I have strong feelings. Um, but like, Oh dude, I feel uh, infernals do it quite often. Yeah, actually. Yeah. I think it's yeah. more common with infernals than probably any other entity. Um, so it is possible for a deity to come through and not reveal who they are, but they will not right. pretend to be something to be else. Someone else. Yeah, and exactly. that's where you can find indicators. So I want to go over a couple indicators of what a oh, trickster spirit would do. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yes. yes. So I want to go over now, like what would be the red flags? Because we already know what the yes. green flags are, right? We yep. already know kind of the indicators of like what we're looking for. But what would be the red flags that would make you say, oh, I, I need to explore this or this is a no for me? Yeah, so one of the the first one that comes to mind is it, should you be interacting with an entity that claims to be a deity that you know about, okay, that you already have knowledge of, and this entity is acting in a different way than yeah. the entity that you would know would typically act. So right. I, I like to or use... Or their energy um, comes across weird. Right, exactly. I like to use the example of Aphrodite. So she is the goddess of love and romance and, uh, you know, partnerships and, and marriage. Well, that's more Ira, but she also, you know, she deals with romance. She's a god of romance, goddess of romance in um, the Hellenic pantheon. If you are dealing with an entity that is claiming to be Aphrodite, but they are talking about things that go against what she stands for, going again like if she's if she's saying outlandish or if this i'm saying she but if it or whatever is is saying things like um you don't deserve love right dude are you kidding me aphrodite would never she would never like that that is so out of character that is so not in context too because like if you're in a shadow session with aphrodite and you're working on self-love right she might be like, I'm going to go through a couple prompts and you tell me what that invokes in you. It would right? totally it be would something be totally you would know. Different. Yeah, it would be a totally this, different this, context. But exactly. we're talking about like just out of the blue, this being comes in and she's just like, I'm Aphrodite. And then they're just like, <laughs> you're not um, worthy of love. Yeah. You're going to die alone. <laughs> yeah. like, all, like all this traumatic, like totally off base for yeah. this for this deity and what they stand for and, and the energies that they... And this is why it's important to know your right. deities. Right. And, and so, and that lends me to this, to, to another indicator, which is if you have an entity that's coming in, that is claiming to be something and you don't know about it, please research. Yeah. Please understand the yeah. deity before you make the assumption that yeah, because it is a you trickster. Might have, yeah, you might have... Um, 
like for example you might have uh loki come in right oh yeah and, <laughs> okay and so and there's he's... tricksters there's trickster deities <laughs> and then there's okay gods. and yeah. then there's tri- yeah there's trickster <laughs> spirits and then yes. so loki and and hermes yes. or Hermes is it, they're two trickster deities that's different yes. than a trickster but like spirit. you might have loki come in and you're seeing a uh, and you're like okay well show me a sign that you're here okay so you would associate him with spiders a lot of people do i mean i actually don't i i don't either thank I you really so much don't. for saying that because i do not i, I do not never, associate uh, i don't no. Period. Yeah. But then again, I'm also not a Norse pagan and I don't work with Loki, but I have met Loki a handful of times and he just like, I've never, like, I've never seen, like, I have spiders in my house all the fucking time because it's spring in Canada. They're popping out everywhere and I don't see them and think, oh, that's a Loki. Uh, yeah. For me, it's like, oh, that's a Rachne. <laughs> you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, like, exactly. Like, it just doesn't connect. <laughs> but right, that's just right. me. Like, it, that's how we feel although other we clearly know other people feel differently but i just i've yeah. never felt that he's connected to right to and i think i think it's important to like basically what we're trying to say is like <laughs> if you have a deity come through and and claim to be someone right um and they are telling you associations or giving you associations like sending you a certain animal or sending you a certain symbol that you wouldn't personally connect right. to that deity or yes. you haven't had other people connect to that deity do right. your research look yes. at history look at associations because yes. loki is also associated with snakes and a lot yes. of people don't talk about snakes that makes loki. so much sense to me it, it makes so i feel much like sense. that makes so much sense that makes more sense to me than spiders but yes, a lot same. of people associate him with spiders why I don't know. Uh, I don't probably know, some person at some point associated him with spiders, which is fine. Do you do you happen? And this is just me just asking because I'm fucking curious. But do you know anything about his mythology that talks about spiders and him? No. Or is that actually, in all of my research, I have not found anything yet that has him associated with spiders. I've always seen him associated with snakes, and that's why <laughs> I was so confused. Because in my research, I've been like. There's nothing talking about spiders, but I might not be looking in the right place. And it's not to say that he can't be or that he isn't or that he isn't for you or for someone. Right. right. But but I do think it's important to remember that personal associations that we have with gods are personal. Right. Okay? Exactly. And it doesn't mean that it's going to be the same across the board for people. Just like uh, Lilith being associated with owls. Oh, I would have never exactly connected those two. Exactly, but are you name, really? I've never name, heard of that. Her name means screech owl. Oh, that's she's badass. associated with owls. So that's badass. That's a common association that. with her, but cool, she's commonly okay. associated with spiders and snakes. Right, and right. like there's. It's not to say that they can't be, but that it's important to do your research. It's important to understand why those associations are coming through and where they're coming through from to understand. And this is, I'm, I'm going to interject also super yeah, quick here to kind of connect this conversation with earlier on deity work is that 
by understanding the deity, by researching the deity, understanding their cultural context, where they yeah. come from, their origins, yeah. that in and of itself can be considered an offering to the deity, yes. can yes. be considered an act of devotion. Yes. I can't tell you how many hours I have spent learning about that, like, I'm talking the deepest, deepest depths of the fucking rabbit hole Yeah, about Artemis and her being like sitting there looking at me and being so fucking happy about it. She's yeah. like, this is great. I am so glad you're doing it. Like, and I'm like, of course I'm doing it. But, but that in and of itself is an act of devotion. You are dedicating time, energy, and attention to understanding this entity. And that's not just going to serve you well in terms of being able to understand what might they might be associated with in terms of if they interact with you or send you signs and symbols, but also it shows them that you're willing to put in the work and to understand yes. them. And that's a great foundation for a relationship. Another thing that I want to mention is that it's uh, research is important, but I want to further go into that because this is just by default, something that should be mentioned with deity work because everybody says, do your research, look into history, look into mythos, look into culture. And that's great. But let's talk about deities who are maybe less well-known or uh, yes. less talked about and how to find right. information about them. Because I've been having this trouble with Astaroth because mm -hmm. there are a lot of people who uh, claim that Astaroth, spelled A-S-T-A uh, or A-S-T-R-A-R-O-T-H, is also the goddess Af uh, Aphrodite and Astarte and yeah. Ishtar Venus. It's a lot. So, so interestingly enough, the reason why I'm so glad we're bringing this topic up is because it's important that while you're researching, whether you find a lot or just a little, or it's very vague or convoluted, it is actually not unusual to see connections between and amongst pantheons. That's yes. not... Yes. unusual uncommon or unheard of it is just the way mythology has worked throughout human history um and you will find either a lot of similarities between and amongst deities you will find either people who conflate deities to others and it actually really depends on your personal your personal perspective there are people who believe each deity is their own individual entity some people see groups of deities as one entity just seen through different perspectives and it's entirely up to you as as an individual to determine how you want to see that deity um and the reason why i say this and then i'm gonna pass it back over to ariel because i know she, i know the the road she's going down right now and i'm really <laughs> really eager for you guys to hear it um is with diana and with artemis and this mm, is a hill i will mm -hmm. die on I will yeah. die on this hill. They are <laughs> different and fight me, but they are different <laughs> entities entirely. They come from completely different cultural contexts. They come from completely different pantheons. However, there are many similarities between them, although they are inherently different. They have different, in my opinion, and in my experience, and based off of like literally research <laughs> like lots and lots of research and also primary sources of which are greek and then which are roman they are 
different. Um, so that's my perspective. That's my opinion. However, there are some who see it differently. There are some who see a pair of entities that are they consider close enough, and I, I'm, I'm doing this in air quotes, you can't see it, but I'm saying close enough with air quotes. Close She's enough. her best. I'm like, oh, I'm so expressive. Um, I, you have no idea how much I've been flailing. Um, I've been like flailing. But anyway, uh, close enough in air quotes that they will lump them together and, yeah. and they're done and they'll walk away and call it a day. And that's fine. I mean, you do you boo, but I see it very, very differently. And as you were saying about Astaroth and Afro, which is interesting with the connection to Aphrodite. Yeah. So what I find really interesting is that uh, when you find deities that are compared to each other, like Diana and Artemis, um, what's interesting is that you'll find, uh, at least in my experience, you'll tend to find that either the further you get away from source material, the, the more, uh, melded together they get Bingo. by society or Bingo. the opposite whereas Bingo. like in um, like for yeah. example in, in Norse mythology uh, Frigga and Freya are sometimes mm -hmm. seen as the same goddess right mm -hmm. um, I see them as very different they come across very different energetically um, what they represent is very different uh, and because Freya is more of like the maiden Right, she's more mm -hmm, of the maiden mm -hmm. role, whereas Frega is the mother, and she. You know, it's it's interesting you say that because I was tuning in to uh, for a deity confirmation for a friend, and uh, Loki actually hijacked this one. But but <laughs> when after Loki left, um, Frig, uh, she introduced herself as Frig, not Frika, although I know it could be both. Mm -hmm. um, she, I actually thought it was Freya first yeah because yeah. she had such similar, similar right they do and they had kind of similar energy but when mm -hmm. she came through in her entirety i was like oh this is an entirely different entity yeah yeah, yeah. freya's energy is uh is one of love and war yeah and and yeah. freya's energy is of home and secrets Oh, very well and, described. And that that's how that's a good description. Their energy comes through differently for me. It doesn't yeah. mean that Frega can't come through in a very loving or warrior way, right? Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. and it doesn't mean that Freya can't come through with secrets. I mean, she's known for teaching Odin about Seder, uh, right? But mm -hmm. it's different in the sense of the roles that they play in the the culture and mythology of right. the Norse mythology. Um, right. And that's where you'll find the difference. And I think that that's why it's, it's as it's important to go as deep as you can, because I know that it's difficult. Like with Astaroth, I literally just came across the information about Astaroth just the other day when I finally got a book that I've been waiting for. And I was having so much trouble finding <laughs> like information about Astaroth. Frustration. It was so frustrating because I felt so invalidated in my in my belief or in my um, experience with Astaroth because he's always come through as male for me. He's always come through in a masculine form. So I was very confused as to why whenever I searched Astaroth online, it was coming up as this goddess. They were like, oh my gosh, she's, she's so amazing. She's so wonderful. Um, I call her Aphrodite. 
because that's what she oh, prefers yeah. Interesting. And, and things like that. And it was, mm. it was, um, it was invalidating for what I was going through, which obviously, you know, I'm not going to be like, well, they're wrong. I was getting confused as to why I wasn't able to have my experiences and others experiences have some sort of bridge over the gap. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, because I would find sources that would, would be like, yeah, it's, it's known as a goddess, but then also as a, a god. And like, you know, like they're, they're coming through as a, a male and then a female and like all this stuff under the same name and the say like spelled the same way. It wasn't until I went outside of where I thought the information would be about him that I got the answer that I was looking for because I was looking at infernal resources and within um, infernal resources, at least where I've found, you'll see it in the, the book, uh, the complete book of demonolatry by um, S Connolly. They do mention that there is an Astoreth and an Astoroth. Mm. Okay. And uh, the Astoreth is female, whereas Astoroth is male. And, Interesting. And so there was that. And I held on to that because I was like, wait, okay, there's something. There's something there. <laughs> but then, like, in the, in the complete, uh, in the Dictionary of Demons by M. Ballinger, um, or M. Ballinger, I believe is the way that you say their name, um, uh, it was talking about an infernal duke, but then also mentioning that they're connected to Astarte. And I was like, okay, I'm so confused. It wasn't until I went to a resource about angels that I got yeah, the, in- yeah. the information that I was looking for. Because there's actually four, I believe it's four, three or four different versions of that name, variations. So there's Astaroth, there's Astaroth, there's Ashtaroth, like A-S-H, Ashtaroth. Oh, and interesting. Then, and then there's... Um, uh, there's Astoreth. Okay, mm. so there's four. And Astoroth, spelled the way that I experience it, yeah. and it is a fallen angel that used to be a seraphim, and it is described as male. Well, Astor- isn't that how we know him from just right. our own experiences with him right. anyway? And yeah. it okay, would make interesting. sense. It would also make sense with what he is known for in infernal work which is knowing the past present future and also specifically the fall of angels who Perfect. would know and that is it that isn't research beautiful <laughs> it's like the magic school bus yeah no it's <laughs> it's it's great but but this was really interesting because i was like i wish this information was a little bit more widely known because it makes it really confusing mm-hmm. for people like me previously who hadn't known that because when you hear Ashtoreth and you hear Ashtoreth and then you hear um, Ashtoreth like you're like okay well they're, they're all the same they're just pronouncing it differently but it is very different the spelling is different the context is different um, mm. the history is different and that is something that you might not find if you just go from one resource rather right, than trying right. to find rabbit trails from where you think that you would find it. Because I did exactly. not think I would find that in a dictionary about angels. I thought I would find it in a dictionary about 
infernals because that's what I work with him as. But I think it's important to explore um, as many as you can. And obviously, like, sometimes people aren't going to have the resources to books that everybody else would, right? Right, But exactly. it's still important to try your best to try to get to the root of where they come from in that culture. Because yes. regardless of whether you're working with an infernal or, or a god or a goddess, when you go to the root of where they're coming from, because infernals pretty much always have an angelic root that you can go mm-hmm. back to and get more context about the infernal. And so if you're having trouble finding information about an infernal, then where to go, but the root source, which would probably be angelic. Um, and that's just, it's, it's hard. I'm not going to say that research is always easy. It's, it's time consuming and it's, um, it's a labor of love, but also a labor of frustration a lot of times. Oh, it yeah. It is something yeah. that is very rewarding when you find the answers and or <laughs> yeah. validation that you're looking for. You do a little dance. You do a happy dance and you're like, yay, I'm mm-hmm. so excited. I can't wait. You know, I can't wait to tell yes. everybody what I know now. <laughs> yes. But, you know, I think this is this is a really good point because, what, I mean, we, we went down this particular conversation topic because we're talking about deities that are, are not necessarily easy to find information on. And I think that that's where a level of patience is involved as well is just have patience. You know, yeah. you, you'll find answers. If you continue to look, you will find like yeah. the answers you're and looking sometimes for. sometimes you're not meant to know right away either. And like, exactly. sometimes it depends on like, mm-hmm. you have to understand them in the context of how you understand them before you right. understand how they're, they are in uh, mythology or culturally. Um, which obviously I- I'm not talking about close practice deities that is excluding no. that, but I'm talking and yeah, about I'm glad like, you brought that up. Cause I wanted to be like, hey, yeah. by the way, we're not part of close practices at all. So we're totally yeah. talking about, you know, from our own personal practices, which are not closed. Yeah. Um, and we're, everything we're talking about is not within that context. Right. Right. I think it's important to mention that, but like, yeah. I'm talking about how, like, for example, if you were to have, um, uh, Hera come through for you and maybe let's say that she's like or uh, we'll do Arachne. Arachne okay. is is from an open practice. She's mm-hmm. she's Greek. You have Arachne come through and you're like oh well you know I'm gonna do research on Arachne but there maybe <laughs> isn't a lot of information freely available on the internet or talking to people about her because she's a, a lesser known or not as worked with deity. That is something where it's okay to build your practice based on how you know her in your experience until you have more information at the Um, time. Correct. Yes. But it's important also to adapt your practice to grow and evolve with information as you get it. Oh, by the way, I thought I should mention that Arachne is actually more Roman than Greek. And the reason why that, yeah, the reason was, so there is, a reference to Arachne in one Greek source, mm-hmm. um, but the ma- vast majority of the mythos around Arachne is from Ovid's Metamorphosis, Virgil's um, uh, Ge- Georgics, and uh, Pliny the Elder in Natural History. So those are gotcha. Roman, but there is a reference. Yeah, because to... I've heard the story of her and Athena, and that's why where that's... I got confused. And that that is uh yeah so that's different um 
but but the but and that's a really good a really really good segue I think into understanding when we're talking about research and we're talking about sources I think it's really important to kind of break it down into what different sources there are so there's primary source secondary source and tertiary source so I rely very very heavily on primary source especially because um, as a Hellenic polytheist that is where the entirety of my practice is based from is is in primary Greek sources and so primary sources original materials it is from the time period involved um, the events are described as they happen. Uh, they're not filtered through interpretation or evaluation. And they're typically the very first. And I, and I want this to be like so important. They're typically the first appearance of information in physical or electronic format. Okay. Mm. So when you were talking about the root of, of understanding Astaroth, you would have gone down the angelic road, which would have led you to a primary source. Right. So that's that's where its primary sources are so so important and then yeah by the way some examples of primary sources would be um like autobiographies or diaries or 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 letters or or poems or things of that sort and then secondary sources um are accounts that are written after the fact right. and are like influenced the bible for example, it's considered <laughs> yeah. a primary source, but it's not. It's actually right. a recount of the primary sources. Exactly. Accounts that are written after the fact, influenced by hindsight or higher level of understanding about the situation of yes. which it is referencing. Yes. And it's not perceived, secondary, secondary sources are not perceived as evidence, but rather a discussion or commentary on evidence. And they often offer analysis or they restate elements of primary sources often in new language or in language that is specific to whomever is is writing it so Mm. it's kind of like an attempt to explain uh interpret reorganize summarize that is secondary and that you know some examples of that would be textbooks histories oftentimes you'll see in textbooks like you know I have three degrees. I have a lot of <laughs> textbooks. And oftentimes in textbooks, they reference primary sources because yes. that is what they're talking about. Yes. Uh, biographies uh, uh, also fall into this. Uh, political analysis, commentary, those are secondary sources. Mm-hmm. And then the last source you have is tertiary. And I do not put a whole hell of a lot of weight into this it is just this is where wikipedia falls in is tertiary so it's an attempt to digest and distill information from primary and secondary sources Mm. so it's even further removed so it's kind of like it's a game of telephone the further away that you get from the person that's actually saying it the less you can really trust what they're saying and this is why it's also important to look at um when you have the ability to have a book a reference book looking at the sources uh, like sometimes they have the the pages in the back of the book where they talk about the resources where they got the information um, exactly. and looking at how many are primary sources or sometimes uh their only sources are just other people other secondary or right. tertiary sources and right. that's when you know that it is not a reliable primary source right and and, and, and another thing I want to mention about information is in uh, not valuable. It just means that it's something that you should always take with a grain of salt 
and apply right. to looking for more validation of things that you can explore further rather exactly. than the end all be all of your research. Correct. Um, yes. And, but the, another last thing I want to say about tertiary sources only just because I feel the need to is that tertiary sources is also where you find dictionaries, um, encyclopedias, fact books, mm. because there are sources that index, organize, or compile other sources. Gotcha. So it's, it's, there's that sense. And then there's also if, if a person, if, if you're reading some, some type of subject matter, um, where it's an attempt to digest and, and summarize other information, but it also could just be simply indexing it. Right. Um, also, tertiary sources are often are not credited to a single author. Right. Another thing. And they're still invaluable uh, pieces of um, resource material because mm -hmm. that's like, for example, going back to Astoroth, that's where I found the information on Astoroth is a dictionary. So correct, that, yes, and it lists the sources. So I can encyclopedias, right? Encyclopedias often have a list. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Further go down that rabbit hole to explore that root of where that information comes from, um, and sometimes we need that, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I think no, like, not at all. There's like there's a couple, you know, like witchy authors who might have like a book where all of their resource material for the information is other people's books who are sourcing from other places. Like it's, it's just kind of yeah. hearsay and not really evidential. Right. So there's, there's an importance in understanding that too. And this, this is not to say that I have never been the person who has been like, Oh, well they said that. So this must be true because we all have that time in our lives. Oh where yeah. We're, not, of course. we're, we're still getting used to researching. I was never taught how to research. It's something where you learn over time and it's okay. Mm -hmm. If you don't know how to do it, you will yeah. learn as you go and it's okay to not have all of the answers. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. And have patience yeah. with yourself. Yeah. You might not figure it out all in one day. It might take you years to understand mm -hmm. a deity on a deeper level or understand oh, where they're coming from. Um, oh, yeah. So yeah. I don't want to make it sound like you have to know a deity inside out within three months, two weeks, one day of knowing them mm -hmm. or working with them. This is something that can be built over time and through right. research and through dedication and through your practice. Exactly. Well said. And that's, that's exactly it. And I mean, I have lots of tertiary sources in my own personal library, because that's often where I can see chronological series of events from a historical perspective, I can see chronologically what happened with Greece from inception to it, its Roman conquering and beyond. Right. So that's where I can see a lot of the, that's where I understand better cultural context is when I'm looking at the period chronologically with when, yeah. with which the secondary or primary information is coming from. Sorry. So, I just saw an animal like run through my oh. apartment and I have no animals in my apartment. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> what was it? I was, it was my wolf. <laughs> Oh, okay. I, I, okay. It was big and it was like white, but it was, it was in the dark. So it looked like uh, something that it wasn't, but it was, it was Mira. Um, oh my God. So cute. <laughs> Sorry. I love that. I was, I was just <laughs> very like, taken aback. I was like, wait, <laughs> what was that? Um, so sweet. But yeah, that that's, I mean that hopefully that sort of kind of breakdown of, 
primary source, secondary, and tertiary source kind of helps understand the differences between them and um, helps along with you know your journey of researching yes. as you yes. as you explore deities either that are well known or not as well known. But all that to say is that you know if if you are experiencing um, a situation where you're trying to find information on a deity that's not super well known. I, I often say this to folks is that's kind of a really interesting situation to be in where you kind of get to pave your own path of, of understanding that deity one-on-one yeah. in a, in a really sort of un, un, I don't know what the, un, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, Unknown like pathway <laughs> forward. You're kind of, chopping through the bush mm-hmm. it's it's like for example with Alyssa, she uh started working with a goddess a couple months ago named Lissa, and mm-hmm. there's like barely any information on her. <laughs> there's literally like there's literally nothing but she was like, like i stories. need to work with this goddess like i'm feeling so drawn to her and i yeah and, but i i don't have any information about her other than this like tiny little snippet of information and yeah. her practice with her had to be built upon personal experience rather than source material, which can right. be such a beautiful thing, but it can also be a scary thing because you don't want to step on like culture. You don't want to mm-hmm. offend anybody, but you also are having experiences with a deity that just isn't as well known. Like for example, exactly. Saga, like mm. does anybody know mm-hmm. who that is? Saga is is a goddess of poetry um in norse mythology and that would be a difficult deity to work with if you aren't able to find a lot of information about them because maybe Mm -hmm. they're mentioned once or twice in in source materials so it's it's hard to find information enough to go off of of knowing their associations or what animals they would be associated with or what crystals they would be associated with or colors or roles that they would play other than you know poetry right so it's difficult when you're working with a deity that's lesser known but regardless i think it's important to do the research that you can but also understand that there may be a time when you're just kind of chasing your tail and it's okay to like yeah get to a point where you're chasing your tail because that's sometimes all we can do. Uh, Obviously this is not covering deity work in a deep way. Like this seems deep because we've been sitting together for what, like two hours now, probably. Yeah, but it's still not. It's, it's still not, but this is only the tip of the iceberg. I hope you all realize that this is the tip of the iceberg. There is so much complexity and depth to deity work that we cannot go over in a yep. single podcast episode. I know that there are probably going to be questions and and things that can be uh, discussed from this episode. Unfortunately, we're gonna have to kind of wrap it just because it's so long already. But <laughs> hopefully it's brought some like clarity for you guys. But the one thing that I want to go over before we go is um, is talking about advice that we have for people who are wanting to get started with deity work and don't know where to start or is maybe intimidated by it um, or is curious about it and where we kind of would give pointers to someone who's looking to begin a journey with deity work. Exactly. First and foremost, the, the number one piece of advice I give 
is if you already have an existing interest in a deity, follow that. Yeah. Immediately follow yeah. that. If there is or a deity culture, that has... Like, yeah, culture, yeah, or a pantheon. Not, not close, not close culture? No, n- not but close. Like, yeah. like, but like, let's say you're really drawn to like Ireland, right? Maybe yeah. you're going to be interested in Irish deities or Celtic deities or Scottish deities. Maybe you're really... Uh, drawn to Iceland or Germany, maybe you're going to be drawn to Norse paganism, uh, you know, things like that. But there's also, you know, these gods and goddesses that we've known throughout our lives through media and things like that. Maybe you just have always felt drawn to Athena and you start looking into Athena, but it might take you down a rabbit hole to someone else. So it's, yeah, I agree with Alyssa. Sorry, I totally cut you off and just no, 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 that's a rabbit totally, trail. But like, <laughs> this is what we do, man. This, this is, is what we do. do. We feed off of each other. I'm just like, oh, just, I got the baton. I got it's it. like, oh, I've got it now. It's just like, oh my God, what's that? Like, uh, this is totally an off the, off the cuff thing, but you know, like that, like long, uh, pipe thing that you would tip in and out and it'd be like what? oh real. <laughs> <laughs> yes. that's yes. what we're passing back and forth is that yes. thing <laughs> except but, yeah, we're the, making like, the weird noise <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah no but like oh honestly if you already have an existing interest there's likely a reason for it it's yeah it's either you even if you connected just a kind of interest like let's yeah, say oh, yeah you're a even singer. if it's kind of yeah, mm-hmm. like looking to looking to see singing deities, like mm-hmm. deities that are associated with song and music, or maybe you're really interested in mermaids. Look at mermaids cool. that that yeah. you could work with. Maybe you're really interested in deities who are very associated with. <laughs> as, I'm sorry, as that Felix was Felix. <laughs> He's like, yeah. Okay, um, how was that? The, he's was a paid just actor. About to say dogs, <laughs> and then he's he grabbed, a paid actor. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but maybe you're like really like interested in working with a deity that would be able to uh watch over your pets and you have a Mm. lot of dogs so maybe you're going to look into deities that are associated with dogs um so it's really okay to explore and just just learn don't be afraid to just learn yeah and just go for it yeah, and, just and you follow, don't have follow the to interest. stay to one pantheon. It's no, okay to hop no, around. You don't. Yes, it's, it's good to understand what pantheons and and not necessarily pantheons. I don't want to say that what gods and goddesses may or may not be comfortable around each other. But mm-hmm. you're gonna know. It's yeah. You're gonna feel it. It's just gonna yeah. be kind of apparent when you're working with them, whether or not they're gonna be comfortable with you working with someone else. But I think across the board it's okay to hop around a little bit especially when you're just getting started because the likelihood of you working with 10 deities at once is very unlikely when you're first getting started and if you are yeah. maybe maybe pare it down a little bit that's, that's yeah, a lot yeah. it, that's it's a, a lot. lot of work it would be a lot for me and yeah, i've been doing three i have while. three on the go and uh like i will always now have three on the go and it's a lot <laughs> yeah it doesn't mean that it can't happen right yeah but i know that it's it is if you are collecting deities like pokemon that is something to look at and make sure that you're not doing that simply because it's a power trip or because you just like it's okay to worship a bunch of deities it's worshiping yeah yeah worshiping easy or relatively but (laughs) working (laughs) with you know ten thousand deities at once might be a little a little much uh for most people 
So that's something to keep in mind. But I mean, like, yeah, I mean, so if you have that curiosity there, but also if you happen to know your cultural heritage yeah, and yeah. that's a line you can explore um you know if you're if your family is uh you know of mex if you're of mexican descent then you can feel free to explore the mythology that is around that and see if you connect with that and explore a larger community as well as you go down that road perhaps you want to connect with practitioners that are already on a path that you are interested in feel free to ask them questions feel free to um explore the topic in a general sense you know like if norse paganism interests you why not search uh search up some well-known norse pagans in the community or go find someone that you feel like you can ask questions of course always use your discernment please but but exploring a larger community is kind of a good way to get a sense of how do I feel like I would fit in the broader sort of culture of the community. Another thing as well is understand what it is you are willing to put out there for a deity. Are you, are you interested in working with a deity from an offering perspective? Are you a ritual person? How do you like to communicate with the deity? Do you prefer divination? Do you prefer to rely on your clear senses? Do you prefer to rely on meditation? That might help you as you consider reaching out to a deity. One thing I just want to make clear is, is you can just keep it simple. Just go with what feels right. Trust your intuition. Trust, trust where you naturally feel inclined to go. And it will lead you, it will lead you likely in a lot of different places. I, I, we've all grown and morphed, if you will, throughout our paths. My fr the first deity I worked with, like officially, quote unquote, worked with, was from an Egyptian pantheon. It was not even Greek, <laughs> even yeah. though I have a super strong connection to Greek deities, the Hellenic pantheon as a whole, it was that that wasn't even my first deity that I worked with. Right. And so it's entirely okay to to start somewhere and end up somewhere else. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I think it's also important to remember, again, that you are going to change and evolve. And your practice will change over time, just as you will change over time. And it's okay to feel drawn to one pantheon or one thing and then branch off from there or completely do a 180 and just decide that you're not interested in it. Just because you might have a lot of um, Irish heritage, maybe you're not connected to Irish uh, mm -hmm. deities or Celtic deities. You don't have to work with what you're connected to. It's, it's okay to explore things that you're not inherently from. As long as, as, long it's, as not it's not a close, a close friend, yes. And yes. and that is the I that that's bold underline italics yes. highlight circle yes. like learn and this is on you. This is work yes. that you have to do as an individual to understand what is a close practice. Learn about cultural appropriation. Learn about decolonizing your practice. That's on you, and and that's work, and that's yeah. work you're you're expected to do, and that's work you should. I really encourage you to do because that's it. you need to be able to 
operate in in this community of of practitioners and those who work with deities respectfully and to be respectful of paths and practices that are not available to you and those that are and so that would be another really important foundation to to start off with yeah because it's you're going to make mistakes I have made mistakes. Alyssa has made mistakes. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. There have been many things that I have done in my practice, especially when I just started out, that would be considered cultural appropriation. And that's embarrassing. But it's also something that I own up to and I do not do anymore. And I understand is wrong and is not for me. Um, So I think it's important to be willing to adjust and change, take responsibility, right? But also just know that the best you can do is stop and continue a different way. And there's so much that is open to us. We don't need to be taking from closed practices because there's so much that is available to us already that we can utilize. And we don't have to take away from something that is sacred to people who were not a part of and that's exactly it's really that simple so yeah um with that said i think this is where we will end this episode um <laughs> i know it's been so long but i hope you guys enjoyed it obviously if you have any questions we would love to discuss whether that is on the discord which is linked in the um description or if you would like to send us a question through email or on our page on anchor we would love to hear from you guys. We would love to have a co- um, more of a conversation around this because obviously, like we said, it's the tip of the iceberg. So there's so many other things and, and segues that we can go into this in other episodes or bonus episodes um, that we would love to discuss with you guys. So please do not hesitate to reach out. If you are interested in booking a session with Alyssa and I, then please don't hesitate to visit our websites also linked in the description below as well. But with that said, be safe and continue learning and don't be afraid to just kind of expand your horizons. And hopefully this helps you feel a little bit more comfortable with getting started with deity work. Absolutely. I hope that this um, podcast episode has been informational, educational, empowering, enlightening, and that you feel that you are ready to to um, branch off from here and to ask questions and to continue to stay curious. Yes. Fly little birds. <laughs> <laughs> it's always a pleasure. <laughs> we love you guys. We'll talk to we you. We love later. you. Bye. Bye. Bye.